Have your Bible, turn to Matthew, the 24th chapter. Matthew, the 24th chapter. I think most of you know that Matthew, the 24th chapter, is the most misunderstood chapter, one of the most misunderstood chapters in the Bible. It starts out in Matthew 24, where Jesus and his disciples are there in front of the temple, and Jesus says to them, they're talking and they want to know this and that, And Jesus said, you see this here temple? It's going to be destroyed. And not one stone is going to be left upon another. And then one of the disciples asked him and says, when will that be? And when will the end of the world happen? So Jesus answers the first question about when the temple is going to be destroyed. And he comes down and he says, Take heed that no man deserve you, that deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places, various places. And all these are the beginning of sorrow. Now it's important, and you might want to underline this, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but in verse 6, Jesus says there will be wars and rumors of wars. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. That word end does not mean the end of the world. It means the end of an era. The end of of something that has been going on for a while, but it's about to come to an end. And then he repeats it. He comes down to verse 11. Many false prophets shall rise, and you hear preachers today all saying that the end of the world is near because there's wars and rumors of wars and there's pestilences and there's famine and there's this and there's that. And they're taking these signs that Jesus gave his disciples, was warning his disciples that was going to happen fairly shortly. And he gave them those signs and told them what they were, but they were not the signs of the end of the world. He comes down and he says, many false prophets will rise and because iniquity is abounding, But he that shall endure unto the end shall be saved. And he says uh, in verse uh, 14, And the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all the nations. He's talking about the then known world. A world that was not developed yet talking about what they understood as the world, which was a lot smaller back then, 2,000 years ago, than it is now. And he says, and and then shall the end come. The same end there is the same end used in verse 6. It's the end of an era of who? The Jewish economy the Jewish 4,000-year privilege of being called the children of God 
was about to come to an end. Jesus was about to be done with the Jews being the special people. That's why Jesus said in the previous chapter, in verse uh, uh, 23, let me see what he said. 23, I believe it was. He said, what, how oft I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her her brew, but you would not. And then he said, but now your house is left unto you desolate. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, verse 23, chapter 23, that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee. How often I would have gathered thy children. He's talking to the Jews. How often he would have gathered the Jews. As a chick gathers her, uh, as, as a, yeah, as a whatever, the mother gathers the, the, the little chicks. He says, behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth, till ye shall say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. The Jewish economy being the only people on earth that were God's special people. All the Gentiles were considered as dogs, less than. For 4,000 years, God had a special people, and they were the literal Jewish people. Highly honored, highly privileged, but they blew it. They crucified their Messiah. And they screamed at his trial, let his blood be on us and our children's children. And the literal Jews today, take it from Hitler, go all the way back, take it from Hitler and come all the way forward. The Jews have been a massacred people for many reasons. But one in particular, they killed the Son of God. So this is what he's saying. Now, he says, when you therefore, he comes down to verse 15. He's talking about all these things that are going to happen. Wars and rumors of wars. Nation will rise up against race and they're going to deliver one another. All these things that he's talking about happened in the Acts of the Apostle. And he's getting ready to come down. He says, now, when you therefore see the abomination of desolation spoken by the Daniel, by, by the Daniel the prophet, when you see this abomination of desolation, stand in the holy place. The holy place was all around Jerusalem. It had the walls, but the holy place was in the outer court. And when you see the abomination of desolation, who are the abomination of desolation? The Christians called the Jews an abomination of desolation. They hated the Christians. Then he said, when you see that, then get out of Dodge. When you see the Roman army, the desolation, the abomination of desolation. And if you read the history, there was, I think it's Vespasian, who was the, the uh, Roman general who was supposed to come and he was to do a siege on Jerusalem and they were going to wipe out all the Jews. But he was called away by Caesar And then in A.D. 70, Titus was called in. And it just so happened that way. And Titus utterly destroyed Jerusalem. Laid it waste. And listen to his warning. Jesus got his people out of Jerusalem before it was too late. Because they obeyed Jesus' word. He warned his people what was going to happen. And he says, 
And when this happens, when you see the Roman army starting to surround where you can't get away, he said, then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Run for your life. Let him which is on the housetop don't even come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are nursing children in those days, because it would be hard to escape. But pray ye that your flight would not be in winter, neither on the Sabbath day. In the winter, they could track you down in the snow, in the mountains. On the Sabbath day, all the gates are locked, and nobody can go out and do any work. You understand? You understand? Okay? You're going to understand for sure here in just a moment. And woe unto them with child, and pray that your flight, your escaping. What are you escaping? The abomination of desolation. Who are they? The Roman army. They wanted blood. They were sick and tired of the Christians. And pray ye that your flight be not winter, for then, this is where they pick up the, the tribulation. And they throw the tribulation way out in the future, just like they throw the whole chapter out in the future. I mean, the end of the world future. But what Jesus is talking about is something that's about to happen in 30 or 40 years from the time that this was written or spoken. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor evil shall be. And except those days be shortened. What days? The days that the Roman army was killing the Jews. If those days weren't shortened, no Jews would have been saved. But God warned the Jews who gave their heart to him and the Christians, and they got out in time. That's why you better obey the Bible. I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. That's why we've got to take everything that Jesus said seriously. Heaven and earth is going to disappear, but this book The words in it are going to last forever. This is never coming to an end. The word of God is going to stand true throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity. So listen, this is what he's saying. And except those days shall be shortened, there shall be no flesh saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Who are the elect? Those that Jesus picked out and believed his message, believed the gospel, and gave their hearts to God. Those are the elect. Now, here's the most important verse in the book. And then he tells them all about the destruction of Jerusalem, which was going to take place in 30 years or so. And he comes down to verse 34. You might want to put a little asterisk next to this verse because they want to tell you that the wars and the rumors of wars and the famines and the pestilence, these are all the signs. Look at the world. There have been wars ever since God created Adam and Eve. It started with Cain. And it never ceased. And people can't get along. Nations can't get along. It happens all the time. It's still happening today. We're we're being threatened with nuclear destruction. But these things that Jesus said are signs of the coming of the destruction of the Jewish economy and the Jewish people. He said, your house is left unto you desolate. How oft I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. I send prophets to you, and you stone the prophets. 
It couldn't be any plainer what Jesus is talking about. And there's Church of God people that hear this, hear, hear the, the way they're teaching it out there in, in Babylon, and, they, and they, they buy it hook, line, and sinker. Sink. Sink. So listen now. And immediately after the, tribul- the tribulation of those days, they take this word tribulation, they yank it out of the context, and they say the Antichrist is going to come back. And for seven years, he's going to rule the world. And the blood is going to flow as high as the horse's bridle. And they take all these scary prophetic verses, don't know anything about what they're talking about. I had some fun with Avery, who preached for a Sunday. I said, Avery, the name is uh, Mike. I said, Mike, do you guys do any revelation preaching? Oh, no, we don't bother with any of that prophecy. I said, Mike, it's one of the books of the Bible. You can't ignore it. I leave it to you professionals to to take care of that. I said, well, let me just give you a scripture that that maybe will whet your appetite. In the Revelation, the 14th chapter, the end of the verse, the first thing that shows up after the pagan beast, after the Roman Catholic beast, after man-made religion beast, after Martin Luther and all their followers, they all started fighting and they martyred 55 to 60 million through the Dark Ages, 30 more million the Protestants uh, murdered because they couldn't get along. But the 14th chapter of Revelation opens up. Behold, I saw a lamb standing on Mount Zion with the 144,000. That's a symbolic number of all the saved, the elect. And what were they doing? They were following the lamb whithersoever he goeth. They weren't murdering one another, killing one another. Do you understand? It's history. The Revelation is a history book prophesying of all of the enemies of God during the gospel day. From A.D. 33 all the way to the end of the world, it's a picture, a panorama view of all the church's enemies. And I said, now, Mike, at the end of that chapter, it says the reapers, that's the preachers, trying to reap a harvest of souls. And they were reaping with 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 their sickles. And when they reaped, they took... The, the harvest, and they put it into the wine press where judgment was given on it. And out of the wine press flowed blood all the way to the horse's bridle. I said, Mike, blood, there was guilt here. The horse in the Revelation all through the Bible is the militant phase of the system. It's what, it's what the one that's got the bridle, he's the one that's steering the horse. The president of the United States has the bridle in America. He's steering America. But he's steering it in the wrong direction. I've just given you a parallel. And, and, and listen, don't, don't come to me and say, well, I, want to hear about, I don't want to hear politics. If you go back and study your Bible history, politics was something that preachers brought up every election to educate their congregations how to vote. And I got people here sit down and say, no, no, I, I, no you got to preach Jesus, 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 no politics. 
Stop being ignorant. Now, if you don't want to watch Fox News, you get nervous, that's fine. I don't care about that. But it's my job to keep you up to date on current events and what's happening in this country. So you can pray and get your house in order. And I didn't know I was going to say all this. And I said, Mike, the blood ran as high as the horse's bridle. I said, did you ever hear Haiti, Hagee? These guys are brilliant. They don't know their right hand from their left when it comes to eschatology. Because they say, the horse's blood, and the blood is going to run to the horse's bridle. That's going to be the blood being spilled by the Antichrist and all the people that are being slaughtered. It don't have anything to do with that at all. It's just showing us where the guilt lied. The beast, the false prophet, paganism, the bad dragon with the seven heads. Millions and millions and millions and millions of lives were spilled. Blood was spilt. And judgment day came in the 14th chapter of Revelation. Just like it's going to come today. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Well, you ought to. I've been preaching on a revelation for 36 years off and on. And the blood ran to the horse's bridle. The one who was steering. The one who's making the decisions. The one who's lying to the people all the time. You understand? Nobody's getting away. Nobody's getting away at all. Now listen. And immediately after the tribulation, right? And they tell you, seven years, the Antichrist is going to come down. Blood's going to run as high as the horse's bridle. So Jesus is still talking about the same subject. He says in verse 34, this is the one you want to write down. He said, truly, I say unto you, this generation, the one he was talking to over 2,000 years ago, this generation shall not pass. They're not going to all die. Till all these things be fulfilled. What things? Rumors of war, pestilences, taking one another to court, the abomination of the desolation, the destruction. It happened over 2,000 years ago. The 24th chapter of, Revel- of, of Matthew took place over 2,000 years ago. of your churches and your religions are going to tell you it's all out in the future. Just like we'll be holy when we get out in the future. Nobody wants to be holy now. They want to fight you. They don't want to hear your holiness message. That's why all these out here, and you got friends out there, and I got relatives out there, They're in systems of religion. I didn't call them out. God called them out. Come out of her, my people, and touch not the unclean thing. It's just as bad as when you send our kids to college and they come back communist. They come back liberal. They come back believing all that nonsense. They come back saying, Mom, Dad, uh, I no longer believe in two genders. And what they do to the kids in a secular realm, religion does in the spiritual realm. Just like my brother left the church because the pastor and his wife have a homosexual daughter and they are pro-homosexual. And now they have a new banner. Did you go by in Granville? They got a new banner 
on the front. Donald, did you, who was the one that told me about that banner, what it says? Transformed in God's image. In other words, a male become a woman, and it's in the trans mentality now, transformed in God's image. What blasphemy to pin that on God, that God's behind all this trans business. It's nothing but the devil. And more preachers need to start calling it what it is, of the devil. That's exactly what it is. And there's millions of souls going to be lost. And just last week, two nine-year-olds, an eight and a nine-year-old had a trans operation, and they both died. And you know who's fighting now for the trans operations? The doctors, the surgeons. This is a whole new ball game now. Send your kid to me. I'll make him who was once a male. I'll make him a female or vice versa. You don't realize it. America is getting as bad as Haiti. and any other third world country. Only we're more sneaky about it. We're supposed to be civilized, but behind all that false civilization is an evil like you've never seen. That's why we got to get our house in order. So, very, very saying to you, this generation back there 2,000 years ago shall not pass till all of these things be fulfilled. So this whole chapter of Matthew the 24, except the very last part, all took place over 2,000 years ago. And then Jesus answers the second question. But as, but of that day, verse 36 But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Talking now about when the world comes to an end. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field. The one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the pure woman and the false woman. And one shall be taken and the other shall be left. Talking about religion now. Watch therefore, this is my text, and I've just got very little to say. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come, but know this, that if the good man of the house had taken, had known in what, in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken. This is my text. Therefore, therefore, be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household, to give them meat in due season. Blessed is the servant, that servant, whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you, that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. But, and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, my Lord, he delayed his coming. And shall begin to smite his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunken. Talking about all the martyrdom that took place through the dark ages. We're coming up to the end of the world now. 
The Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him and in an hour that he is not aware of and shall cut him asunder and appoint him his portion. Just like the Bible said, they cut off the Son of God. They cut his life short. Same language. Only now it's judgment following all the sinners, all the hypocrites. Judgment is coming and shall cut him asunder and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, very quickly, I just want to tie that last couple verses. Our Lord's work is coming to an end here at the end of Matthew. All right, he's about to face his death, burial, and resurrection. And when he resurrects, he's going to spend 40 more days on this earth. He's going to show himself to doubting Thomas, to all the Christians, because the unbelievers wouldn't believe him anyway. But he showed himself to 500 people so nobody could come along and say, well, he's not alive. He showed himself to his people so they would know that the resurrection really did happen. So in chapter 24, Jesus prophesies of the destruction of Jerusalem and then answers the second question, when will the end of the world come? In both cases, the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70, which is in your history books if they haven't revised it out, and the final coming of our Lord, Jesus emphasizes to his disciples in verse 44 Therefore be ye ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man comes. And in verse 46, Jesus says, Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Find him so doing what? Go back to verse 45. Who then is a faithful and wise servant? It's he that's doing what God commanded him to do, and that was to feed the sheep. Why be ready? Why be awake? Because we are being assaulted, and this church and its members are being assaulted. You hear me when I say that as your pastor. They're being assaulted daily with temptations and distractions to forget God, fall asleep, and let spiritual drowsiness get into their souls. And without continual efforts, our perceptions of the unseen realities, we will grow dim and we will be lulled to sleep like millions are today. The religion out here of millions today is nothing more than a sleepy religion. They don't even know what they're talking about. They don't even know what they're preaching about. No, we all sin, more or less every day. The kingdom is coming. It's it's out there. They're fools. Now, there are people that only see what they see, and I'm not calling them fools. There are a lot of religious people out there, they don't know any better. They only believe what they believe. They're they're honest about it. It may be wrong, but they're honest about it. God will give them a fair judgment. But it's the ones that are holding the bridle that are steering their organizations, their denominations. I said to Mike, Mike, I've been pastoring 36 years. 
I said, if I was in, and he asked me, he said, uh, are you, why, why do you want to be independent? Don't you want to join the movement? Or join somebody? I said, Mike, when I got saved, I joined myself to the highest level you could go. I joined myself to Christ. You don't get any higher than that. I don't need a label now. I got the man who created the whole world. Okay? I don't need a denomination to tell all the people under that denomination, you in three years got to go here. You in five years got to go there. You got to teach this. You got to teach. No, no, that's not the Holy Spirit. That's man rule. And that's the beast that came up out of the earth with two horns. And and he looked like a lamb. But the Bible said he spoke as a dragon. Read your Bible. Toughen up. Because you're going to have to stand against what's coming our way. And the heat will fall on me first. Did you hear me? It's going to fall on me first. And I'm not looking for more devil to stir up than I can handle. But God commissioned me to preach the gospel. And if I don't, and I start back uh, compromising, or you back up and you start compromising, then we're going to be in trouble. And where is everybody? I'm going to tell you. You know where they are? Good night. They're asleep. And they no longer think they need a prayer meeting. That should never happen in the church of God. And you know what else? I'm not getting any younger. But God has given me some home stretch anointing. You don't have to believe it. Just get the tapes. And he's been helping me in my last phase in ways that I can't even believe it anymore. You know why I think he's doing that? Because Jesus is almost here. How much longer do you think he's going to put up with all this hypocrisy, all this foolishness that's going on? Demonic, sensual, earthly, and devilish nonsense. What a miserable contrast Jesus' warning to Christianity today. Believers are being swallowed up with wide awake interests and hopes and material gains and pleasures belonging to this world, but they're sunk in slumber and lukewarmness as to the great and glorious moment of our Lord's final return. And whenever the thought of our Lord's return intrudes upon our minds and reminds us of our unreadiness to meet the Lord, it is soon hustled out of our minds with the excuse, tomorrow is another day. I'll settle, I'll get things right when things settle down. Things are never going to settle down in this country. Never. And the only time they're going to settle down for anybody is when we're six feet down. Our text says, therefore be also ready for in such a time as you think not. The Son of Man cometh. It was our Lord's purpose 
that from generation to generation, the churches should be kept in an attitude of readiness to meet the Lord, an event that may come at any time and must come at some time. Look at how the Bible warns us of death. Just like we're warned about Christ's second coming, so the Bible also warns us. The Lord's coming is one event. You're going to meet the Lord someday. And when you die, you're going to meet the Lord right after you die. Your spirit is going right back to the God who gave it. And the Bible says the rich man and Lazarus, and the rich man had no time for Lazarus, and the dogs licked the wounds of Lazarus, and they both died. And the rich man lifted up his eyes, being in torment in hell. And Lazarus was carried away in Abraham's bosom, an expression of love. He's the father of the faithful. It was our Lord's purpose that from generation to generation, churches should be kept in an attitude of readiness. Now, concerning the second coming of Christ, we are warned. But look how the Bible warns us in several places, and I'm not going to mention them, just one, of death. It serves the same moral warning to us. Remember now the wisest man that ever lived. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth before the evil days come upon you nor the years of old age come when you're set in your stubborn ways for God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing whether it be good or whether it be evil. God's word says It's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. You're going to die? The Bible warns us. You better be ready to die. You better be ready to meet God. And if Jesus comes back, you better be ready to meet God. These two events are 100% going to happen. They're inevitable. It is absolutely certain we are going to die, and it's absolutely certain God's judgment is going to be carried out upon all that ever lived and died. And the blood is going to run right back to the bridal. Those who were causing all the trouble, breaking up homes, doing everything they're doing, their blood. You're going to be guilty. It's a symbolic expression right out of the revelation. But both events are utterly uncertain when they will happen. Nobody here knows when you're going to die. Nobody here knows when Jesus is going to come back. And because of that uncertainty, when death or judgment is going to happen, we ought to have enough sense to prepare to meet either one of those events and hold on to God if men were not such fools. The fool has said in his heart, no God for me. Your emphasis and my emphasis and, and, and should be In the day in which we're living, the seventh seal, the Laodicean age, the last trumpet, we should be focused and locked in on two events and be ready, dying, and meeting the Lord when he returns. But we're being inundated. We're being assaulted every day. New gimmicks, new games, new this, new that. Got to go here, got to go there, got to do this, got to do that. 
and we're going to be caught off guard. If we don't listen to the word of God. Christ's coming especially, I'm going to close. Christ's coming especially today should be on our minds daily. If we would more welcome his return. Oh, even so, Lord Jesus, come. But one of the reasons Christ's second coming is not welcomed and not preached on much anymore is because too many believers have some house cleaning to do before either event takes place. True Christians are all those who love his appearing. Now look at verse 48. But And if that evil servant shall say in his heart, my Lord, oh, you took so long coming back. But if, but and if the evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming and shall begin to smite his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunken. Look what happens to him in verse 50 and verse 51. It's a dreadful doom. Verse 50, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him and in an hour that he is not aware of. There's people. They're not looking for the Lord. They're not ready for the Lord. Religious people. In the millions. That's not their focus today. The world and all the things we got to do. And then I want you to read verse 51. And shall cut him asunder. It's over. You're doomed forever. And appoint him, him who, him who was killing his servants and running with the drunkens and shall cut him asunder and his reward Cut him asunder and appoint him who, the sinner, the hypocrite, appoint him his portion, his lot, or that consequence of judgment which belonged to his virtue and his character, taking sides with hypocrites and drunkards. Now look at verse 51. I want to make a point. And shall cut him asunder when he's done, when his life's over. God's still going to appoint both the saved and the unsaved their portion. Appoint him his portion 
with hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Sinners and hypocrites, when they die, are not going to be extinguished. They're not going to become extinct. They're no longer going to exist. The Bible, Jesus said, when they're cut asunder, he is going to appoint their portion. Sinners and saints are both going to live. There's no annihilation. You would to God there was annihilation if you were a sinner. And it shall cut him asunder and appoint him who that sinner and hypocrite his portion is lot. And look at this servant was one of them. He said in verse 48, my Lord, he was one of the Christians. He was given charge of what to do. This servant, so that says something about eternal security as well. God gives you a job to do, and he goes away, and he says he's coming back. Gives you talents, goes away, comes back. He wants to see if you multiplied your talents. He wanted to see if you'd done what you were supposed to do. He wanted to see if you obeyed what God told you to do. This servant was one of them, but while he said, my Lord, like he was a Christian, he had ceased to love and obey God. This servant never awakened. He never awakened from his unwatchfulness. These words in our text from our Lord Jesus Christ should ring alarms in the hearts of Christians today and rouse our sleepy, worldly souls to watch as becomes the children of the day. God's done playing religion. Most of this world is playing religion. Terrible.